This is VOA News. I'm Richard Green. International efforts to broker a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas have suffered a setback as Israel reportedly recalled its negotiating team from the internationally mediated negotiations in Cairo. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Wednesday accused the U.S.-designated terrorist group of hobbling the high-stakes negotiations by sticking to delusional demands. Netanyahu's remarks raised concerns over the fate of the talks. The internationally mediated negotiations in Cairo were taking place even as deadly violence continued both in the Gaza Strip and along Israel's border with Lebanon, where low-level fighting has continued since the war broke out. Israel faced growing international pressure on Wednesday to hold off on a planned assault on the last refuge for displaced Palestinians in southern Gaza. Reuters correspondent Rachel Graham has more. The World Health Organization's representative for the West Bank and Gaza, Richard Peppercorn, said an offensive in Rafah could overwhelm its already overburdened health system. Military activities in this area, this densely populated area, would be, of course, an, an, an unphenomenal uh, catastrophe uh, and an enormous, uh, uh, would even further expand <coughs> the humanitarian disaster beyond imaginations. Israel says it takes steps to minimize civilian casualties and accuses Hamas fighters of hiding among civilians, including in hospitals and shelters, something the militant group denies. That was Reuters correspondent Rachel Graham. Bring them home now! Meanwhile, families of Israelis held hostage by Hamas since October 7th urged the International Criminal Court on Wednesday to ensure justice for their loved ones and to help bring them home. Standing in the rain, families and activists waved Israeli flags and chanted, bring them home. This is VOA News. The U.S. National Security Advisor says he'll meet on Thursday with a powerful congressman who wants President Joe Biden to release information regarding what the lawmaker says is an urgent national security threat. More from VOA's chief and national correspondent, Steve Herman, in Washington. At the White House press briefing room lectern on Wednesday, the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, expressed surprise that the House Intelligence Committee Chairman, Mike Turner, has made a public call for the administration to declassify details about an unspecified foreign threat. Ultimately, these are decisions for the president to make. The congressman has told his colleagues they should urgently go to a secure room to receive a classified briefing about what media reports quoting U.S. officials say. That refers to Russia's attempt to develop a space-based anti-satellite nuclear weapon. Steve Herman, VOA News, Washington. Indonesian Defense Minister Prabowo Subianto declared victory in Wednesday's presidential election after an official result showed him trouncing two rivals. The former Special Forces commander clinched about 58% of the votes, according to unofficial quick counts by four independent pollsters, more than double that of his nearest opponent. Subianto needs to win more than 50% of all votes cast, along with at least 20% of the vote in half of Indonesia's provinces once the official returns are announced to avoid a second round in June. This is the 72-year-old Subianto's third attempt at the top job in the world's third largest democracy. He was defeated in his previous attempts by outgoing President Joko Widodo. Special Counsel Jack Smith has urged the U.S. Supreme Court to allow a historic case against former President Donald Trump to proceed. Here's AP correspondent Lisa Dwyer. Special.
Jack Smith is urging the Supreme Court to let former President Donald Trump's 2020 election interference case proceed to trial without further delay. Prosecutors were responding to a Trump team request from earlier in the week asking for a continued pause in the case as the court considers whether to take up the question of whether Trump is immune from prosecution for official acts while in the White House. Two lower courts have overwhelmingly rejected that position, prompting Trump to ask the high court to intervene. Smith asked that if the Supreme Court does want to take the case, that they hear arguments in March and issue a final ruling by late June. I'm Lisa Dwyer. Issues in the news is VOA's premier news discussion program. Our in-depth analysis goes beyond the headlines, providing you with the inside story on both domestic and international news. This Issues in the News, VOA's premier news discussion program. I'm Richard Green for VOA News. A U.S. lawmaker raises the flag about what he calls an urgent national security threat which is believed to be a Russian space-based weapon. If folks are worried about the weaponization of, weaponization of space, uh, have bad news, uh, it's already happened. A mass shooting at the Super Bowl celebration for the Kansas City Chiefs. All of a sudden, people started crushing forward. Everybody started running. There was screaming. And becoming a pollution refugee. Prashant Kalra relocated from Delhi to the western coastal city Goa five years ago because the city's dirty air was making his then three-year-old daughter sick. Today is Thursday, February 15th, and this is VOA's International Edition. I'm Scott Walterman. The U.S. National Security Advisor says he'll meet on Thursday with a congressman who wants President Joe Biden to release information regarding what the lawmaker says is an urgent national security threat. More from VOA's chief national correspondent, Steve Herman, in Washington. At the White House press briefing room lectern on Wednesday, the National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan expressed surprise that the House Intelligence Committee Chairman Mike Turner has made a public call for the administration to declassify details about an unspecified foreign threat. Ultimately, these are decisions for the president to make, but in the meantime, the most important thing is we have the opportunity to sit in a classified setting and have the kind of conversation uh, with the House intelligence leadership that I, in fact, had scheduled before uh, Congressman Turner went out today. The congressman has told his colleagues they should urgently go to a secure room to receive a classified briefing about what he is calling a destabilizing foreign military capability. Media reports quoting U.S. officials say that refers to Russia's attempt to develop a space-based anti-satellite nuclear weapon. Steve Herman, VOA News, Washington. Space-based weapons have been both a fear and a reality since the dawn of the space age in the 1950s. Joining us now to talk about this is Todd Harrison, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, where he focuses on defense strategy and budgeting, the defense industrial base, and space policy and security. All right, so let's start with this um, story that broke today. 
and ultimately it's being speculated or has been confirmed by people who won't be identified that it's a um, anti-satellite space-based weapons system. Uh, do, what do we know about that? Well, you know, we don't know the specifics about, you know, this intelligence, not yet. Uh, we know that uh, the Biden administration has been asked to declassify that intelligence. Uh, but what we do know from the past is that Russia has developed and tested a wide array of anti-satellite weapons, um, both weapons that are kinetic, meaning they strike their target, um, collide with it in order to uh, damage it, um, and weapons that are non-kinetic, things like electronic attack, cyber forms of attack. We've even seen Russia use some of these electronic and cyber uh, anti-satellite capabilities in the conflict in Ukraine. Uh, they've been jamming our GPS signals, uh, satellite communication signals, uh, and they, at the very beginning of the war, they actually used a cyber attack to take uh, much of the Ukrainian military satellite communication systems offline. Uh, and they actually attacked through a commercial uh, satellite communication system. So we know Russia has uh, lots of these weapons, uh, but what's interesting is that, uh, at least it sounds like, if the reporting is correct, that they've got uh, some different type of weapon on orbit uh, that the intelligence officials are concerned about. It's it's not it, it's not shocking that this is happening. I mean, it's it's coincidental that just today um, they launched a rocket, um, a SpaceX rocket from uh, Kennedy Space Center that was a um, military, a classified military launch. We're not sure what was on the on the payload other than it was a, a satellite. And I remember from way back, 20, 25 years ago, being at the Kennedy Space Center, you know, for a shuttle launch and a rocket mm -hmm. would take off from the Air Force Base that's adjacent to Kennedy Space Center. And the NASA guys would tell us, oh, that's a DOD uh, launch. We don't know what it is. This has been going on almost since the beginning of the space program, right? Absolutely. Um, and, I mean, just to underscore the fact that the launch today is purely coincidental, uh, these missions take months and years to plan and to actually develop the satellite that's being launched and integrate it with the rocket. Um, so, you know, th these two things are truly not connected. Um, but the activity in space has really been picking up. Uh, in recent years. Uh, just last year in 2023, um, it was the uh, largest number of space launches all time uh, ever since the beginning of the space age back with Sputnik in 1957. Uh, globally, there were 211 launches last year. Uh, a little, about half of those were from the United States. Um, and I think, you know, Cape Canaveral and Kennedy um, spaceport down there in Florida um, that was the busiest launch site in the entire world uh, last year. Uh, so there's a lot going on in space. The military is certainly part of that. So what should we know? What should we be thinking as citizens of the world about the weaponization of space? Mm. Well, um, if folks are worried about the weaponization of, weaponization of space, uh, I have bad news. 
uh, it's already happened. <laughs> uh, no sooner than the United States and the Soviet Union were able to put satellites in space, we started working on ways to destroy each other's satellites. Um, the first anti-satellite test was conducted in 1959. That was by the United States. Um, throughout the 1960s and early 70s, the Soviet Union conducted tests of a space-based anti-satellite system, that is, a satellite that can deliberately collide with another satellite and knock it out of orbit. Um, so you know, these types of, of space weapons uh, have been around. Uh, I think the challenge we're facing now uh, is the proliferation of these weapons and the willingness of countries like Russia and China to use these weapons, um, even short of direct conflict with the United States. Um, so my concern is that Russia may be feeling emboldened. They may feel emboldened with the politics in the United States um, around giving more military support uh, to Ukraine uh, to help fend off uh, the Russian invasion. Uh, they may be emboldened by what uh, former President Trump has been saying in terms of not supporting our NATO allies. Uh, and that could lead Russia to make a, a poor decision <laughs> uh, and actually do something in space that would affect the United States directly. Um, and so I think that there really is cause for concern there, um, you know, not even knowing the specifics of the intelligence that's uh, behind this report. Todd Harrison with the American Enterprise Institute. In the U.S. state of Missouri, there was another mass shooting in the U.S., this one at the celebration for the Kansas City Chiefs who won the Super Bowl. At the conclusion of the Chiefs rally today, there were shots fired on the west side of Union Station. Immediately, officers responded to the area, took two people into custody, and also immediately rendered life-sustaining aid to those victims. That's the Kansas City Police Chief. I'm angry at what happened today. The people who came to this celebration should expect a safe environment. We had over 800 law enforcement officers, Kansas City and other agencies, at the location to keep everyone safe. Authorities say at least eight children were among the 22 people who were hit by gunfire. It's the latest sports celebration in the U.S. to be marred by gun violence. Following a shooting that injured several people last year in downtown Denver, after the Nuggets National Basketball Association Championship and gunfire last year at a parking lot near the Texas Rangers World Series Championship Parade. We're following these other stories from around the world. Efforts to broker a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas have suffered a setback as Israel reportedly recalled its negotiating team. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on Wednesday accused Hamas of hobbling the high-stakes negotiations by sticking to, quote, delusional demands. The United States says it supports Japan's efforts to hold talks with North Korea. Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida told Parliament last week he 
wants to hold a summit with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. Lawmakers in Greece have begun a debate on a landmark bill to legalize same-sex marriage. It would make Greece the first Orthodox Christian country to do so. The Valentine's Day session in Parliament follows vocal opposition and protests from the church, but public opinion had shifted and is narrowly supportive of the reform. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is headed to Albania for talks on Thursday and then on to Germany for the Munich Security Conference, where he will join a U.S. team led by Vice President Kamala Harris. U.S. aid for Ukraine's defensive war against Russia, which is stalled in the U.S. House of Representatives, and former President Donald Trump's comments threatening to abandon some of America's NATO allies if he's re-elected, are likely to follow Blinken and Harris in Europe. VOA's senior diplomatic correspondent, Cindy Sane, reports from the State Department. As Russia continues to attack Kharkiv and other Ukrainian cities, experts warn that U.S. Speaker of the House Mike Johnson's refusal to allow a vote on an aid package to Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan is resulting in deaths, with Kyiv running short on manpower and munitions. President Joe Biden outlined the stakes Tuesday, saying supporting the bill sends a crucial message to Russian President Vladimir Putin. If we don't stop Putin's appetite for power and control in Ukraine, he won't limit himself just to Ukraine. And the cost for America and our allies and partners are going to rise. For Republicans in Congress who think they can oppose funding for Ukraine and not be held accountable, history is watching. It is against this backdrop that Secretary of State Antony Blinken is making his first trip to Albania and then heading to the Munich Security Conference. He plans a slew of bilateral meetings with his counterparts from Germany, Ukraine, India, and a number of other countries, including possibly China. Some comments from the likely Republican presidential nominee, former President Donald Trump, threatened to overshadow the security talks. Trump said last week that he had once told a NATO member that he would not protect certain allies from Russia. And he has continually pressured Republican members of Congress not to approve aid for Ukraine. At the State Department Wednesday, VOA asked whether U.S. domestic politics would put Blinken in a difficult position in Munich. Spokesperson Matthew Miller said this. And certainly I'm sure that when we are in Munich, we will hear directly from foreign leaders that they are watching very much what Congress does. We know the Ukrainian people are watching. And as the president said, history is watching as well. Republican lawmakers are divided over continued U.S. funding for Ukraine. Republican Representative Pete Sessions told VOA that the U.S. has promised Ukraine its support. The Democrats in the Senate have passed what I consider to be a good funding bill to supply Ukraine with its needs. The bottom line really is for Ukraine. They need help with artillery and armaments that the United States has the supply of. On Tuesday, the Democrat-led Senate, with bipartisan support, passed the $95 billion foreign aid bill, which included $60 billion for Ukraine. Sessions said he believes Congress will manage to pass the aid bill one way or the other. Cindy Sane, 
VOA News, the State Department. As U.S. lawmakers continue to haggle over a bill to spend more than $60 billion in security aid to Ukraine, top defense officials are vowing to back Kiev as long as it takes. VOA national security correspondent Jeff Selden reports. The United States hasn't sent Ukraine any aid packages since late December, but Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin warns Russia shouldn't get its hopes up. Ukraine will not surrender. And neither will we. Austin, leading a virtual meeting of the Ukraine Defense Contact Group, says the immediate focus is on Kiev's need for more air defense and artillery. The Kremlin's cruelty is especially clear during another winter of war. Putin's forces brazenly bombard Ukraine's uh, cities with uh, ballistic missiles and Iranian drones. Austin also shared a message seemingly directed at the U.S. House of Representatives, where some lawmakers have so far balked at approving more aid for Ukraine. For people of principle and governments of conscience, standing aside while Ukraine fights for its very existence is not an option. As for the more than 50 nations meeting to support Ukraine, the U.S. Defense Secretary says it's time to roll up their sleeves and get to work. Jeff Selden, VOA News, Washington. VOA's International Edition continues. I'm Scott Walterman. The frontrunner for Indonesia's presidency has declared victory after unofficial vote counts showed him with a wide lead in the three-way race. Prabowo Subianto, the defense minister, addressed a large crowd of supporters in Jakarta on Wednesday night. Dave Grumbaum is there and has this story. Loud cheers from thousands of people for Prabowo Subianto as he greeted supporters in a local sports arena. 38-year-old Hendra Gunawan came to this watch party to see the results come in. He's a longtime supporter of Prabowo, who had lost in his first two tries at the presidency. Prabowo faces numerous accusations of human rights violations dating back to his days in the army during the 1980s and 1990s when he was rising through the ranks to become a three-star general before being dismissed over allegations he ordered the kidnappings of pro-democracy activists. But many of Indonesia's voters do not have a recollection of that time period. More than half of the country's eligible voters are younger than 40, and one-third are younger than 30. One of them is Sabrina Ramadani, age 23, who says Prabowo has the personal traits to be a good leader. She said Mr. Prabowo is protective of the citizens. He's energetic, assertive, charismatic, and also generous. Prabowo appeared to have the tacit backing of the country's outgoing president, Joko Widodo, whose son is Prabowo's vice presidential running mate. Prabowo told the crowd he would assemble a government made up of Indonesia's best sons and daughters. Dave Grunebaum, VOA News, Jakarta, Indonesia. And finally, the Indian capital's severe pollution, which has failed to improve despite efforts, is prompting a small but growing number of people to leave New Delhi to escape the health hazards posed by dirty air. Many are relocating to the western coastal cities of Goa, which has witnessed an influx of what are being called pollution migrants. And Jana Pashrisha spoke to two families on why they 
decided to leave the capital. Prashant Kalra relocated from Delhi to the western coastal city Goa five years ago because the city's dirty air was making his then three-year-old daughter sick. Kalra lived formerly in Gurugram that adjoins Delhi. Our daughter couldn't breathe in Delhi NCR because she needed a nebulizer every night just to go to sleep. So that uh, convinced us that we didn't have a choice. NCR refers to Delhi and surrounding districts. Kalra is among a small but growing number of people quitting that urban sprawl as two decade-long efforts fail to clean up the toxic smog that shrouds it every winter. Most are heading to Goa, a popular holiday destination that has become a magnet for so-called pollution migrants from Delhi. For Salil Pawa and his wife, the trigger for moving two years ago was their daughter's persistent cough. She got put on a inhaler and also the nebulizer. When that is when I realized that it's the air. And uh, we came here for a vacation, for a very short vacation for a few weeks, and that cough all but vanished. That's when we kind of decided that we have to leave Delhi. Delhi's pollution is caused by a mix of construction dust, vehicular emissions, and burning of crop residue. Doctors say every winter brings a steady stream of patients affected by the air quality. Suranjit Chatterjee is a doctor at Indraprasth Apollo Hospital in New Delhi. It's a major health because obviously now the duration of the pollution has also landed in this city. And exposure long time to high pollutants obviously affects everybody's health. For those seeking refuge from Delhi's air, leaving a city they called home was not easy. Kalra and Pawa described their experiences. The biggest challenge is getting used to a different place, not knowing what, where, what is, uh, starting life from scratch. It was difficult leaving friends behind, but luckily most of our family moved with us. Uh, my father, my elder sister. Socially, it's an adjustment. Culturally, also, it's an adjustment because Goa is a slightly different place. But, says Kalra, the slow-paced life can be enticing. The numbers leaving Delhi have accelerated since the COVID-19 pandemic, which gave the flexibility to work from different locations. Power again. When I moved to Goa, I didn't know anybody else, right? Uh, now, in the span of two years, I know probably 20 people who moved here for the same reason. COVID taught us that you don't have... It's not the city itself, right? It's the work that you do. Moving out of Delhi is a choice available only to a few. But the trend underscores that cleaning up India's mega cities will be one of the country's biggest challenges as the government sets an ambitious goal of making India a developed nation by 2047. Anjana Pasricha, VOA News, New Delhi. This has been International Edition on The Voice of America. On behalf of everyone here at VOA, thank you so much for joining us. For pictures, stories, videos, and more, follow VOA News on your favorite social media platform and online at voanews.com. In Washington, I'm Scott Walterman. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. The United States looks forward to welcoming its NATO allies to Washington this summer to celebrate the 75th birthday of NATO, said National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan. 
Speaking at a press conference at NATO headquarters, he added that this upcoming meeting will also serve to showcase the fact that the NATO alliance is bigger, stronger, and more united than it has ever been. A primary topic of discussion at the Washington NATO summit in July will be the alliance's shared support for Ukraine, said Mr. Sullivan. Putin has been counting on dividing this alliance, but today we heard again total unity and a degree of intensity of that unity that has not flagged one bit since the beginning of this brutal invasion by Russia nearly two years ago. Putin has also been counting on flagging support. Today I heard renewed commitments from many different NATO allies of tangible support for the brave Ukrainians who are defending their country. With regard to burden sharing, the United States looks forward to seeing more allies meet their 2% of GDP benchmark necessary for NATO funding. Another topic of discussion in Washington will be how to energize the defense industrial base in order to increase production of critical capabilities, said Mr. Sullivan. And it's not just about total numbers, it's also about the types of capabilities that we need to be investing in because this fight over the last two years has taught us about the evolving nature of technology and warfare and NATO has to stay at the cutting edge in that regard. NATO has begun to deepen its ties with its Indo-Pacific partners, explained Mr. Sullivan. This is not about bringing NATO to Asia. It is about working together with like-minded partners in the Indo-Pacific on challenges that really transcend geography, cyber, economic security, nuclear proliferation, and yes, the evolving interconnections between Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea, among other issues. National security advisors from NATO also discussed the situation in the Middle East, including the threat that Iran poses to regional stability and to a vision of a more peaceful, prosperous, interconnected region. NATO looks forward to welcoming Sweden into the alliance soon as a 32nd member, said Mr. Sullivan. The Washington summit will continue to build this vital and dynamic defense alliance known as NATO. That was an editorial.